0: You are now listening to The Last Day's Return of the Historic Faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom, Christian, in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we
1: sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
2: This is the Reality Radio Network on Telstar 5
0: Transponder
2: 5 and on the internet at realityradionetwork.com
0: Gentlemen, we're into the second hour of a very special two-hour interview with my very good friend Tom Horner. We're talking about Stargates. We're talking about CERN. We're talking about fallen angels. We're talking about genetic manipulation, transhumanism, and the goal of the scientific community to basically do a better job in their mind than God did when he created mankind. Now, Tom, let's get into uh, the giants on the earth and the magic bands and the KSETOT because this is something that I don't think people realize, that there's a lot of scripture about this, but if they just read the word bands in the psalm, they don't get it.
2: Well, no, and right, so let's just go right there. Ezekiel 13.20 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic bands. And the word bands there is ksetat, a word that you referred to earlier. Uh, So let me read it without interrupting. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic bands, or ksetat, by which you hunt souls. Lives, souls, they're as birds, and I will tear them off your arms, and I will let them go. Even those lives—that is, the Hebrew word souls—whom you hunt as birds. In quote, Ezekiel thirteen twenty. What an extraordinary portion of Scripture, and people, uh, and, and, and including some of the best theologians, were, were for many many years somewhat very confused about. What in the world was Ezekiel talking about magic bands being on the arms of somebody and that these magic bands had the power to control souls? This was a magic arm band that was used uh, in connection. And, and I, I don't want to take information to myself, Steve, but I think I was one of the very first persons who ever not only found this but spent a great deal of time trying to figure out what was being talked about here, and I wrote about it. It was either in my first book or second book, The Gods Who Walk Among Us, I don't remember. I think it was in The Gods Who Walk Among Us, but how that this was used in connection with an orca, uh, or a container, if you will, that was called the keist K-I-S-T-E, and and wherever this uh, keist was inscribed on sarcophagi that I found and on uh Bacchic that uh scenes that is the 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 bacchae you know meaning the female followers of bacchus or dionysus um how that the keest the by them was used as kind of a sacred vessel a soul prison and the interesting thing about them about the um sarcophagi scenes that can be found on this is that it shows it shows this this uh, vessel with a snake peering up through an open lid, and there's very little that's known about this. In other words, how the magic worked, or in what way a thing or a soul could be imprisoned or bound. Uh, much of that is still a mystery. Pan is also associated with the, with the imagery associated with this, the half man half goat god who was le- later rele- uh, relegated to devildom and also related, if you will, to CERN. So, But he's sometimes uh, pictured as kicking the lid open. Does that mean opening the stargate and letting the snakes or the souls out? Um, there's very much we don't know about this, but what we do know is that these snakes, these souls, that were then uh, being depicted as set free, were shown as being enslaved around the limbs or bound in the hair of the back women. Now here's something that's extraordinary in that first of all the Bible itself in the book of Ezekiel verifies that this magic was real. That this That these magic bands could actually bind a soul. If it wasn't real there would have been no reason for the prophet Ezekiel under the authority of God to say that with the authority of God he had the power or speaking for the voice of God he had the power to tear those bands down and set these souls free. There's been no reason to even make that comment. If in fact there wasn't something to these magic bands. And then there's, there, there's a scholarly book, I don't even know if it's still available, called Scripture and Other Artifacts. It was written by authors Philip King and Michael David.
1: And, and, and
2: they do some good research in this too, where they talk about how that in the closing verses of Ezekiel 13, the prophet turns his attention to these magic bands. And they note, uh, in the text, in the Hebrew, that there are two words that are used there. The kasetot, the bands. They also note that there's another word here, which I, until I had read their book, I didn't realize was there. A word called mistebot. Now, here's why this is interesting, Steve. The kasetot were magic bands that were bound on some, on the arms and sometimes also on the legs. Right? But the mistebot, we're put on the head. Now, listen. This is the Hebrew interpretation. of This the head of every height, and and the the, the meaning here is those who are of great height or giants, if you will. Right. Um, in in modern times, um, archaeological discoveries and texts from Babylonia, in particular, have shed some light on this. Where they've also talked about these bands being twisted around the arms and also the ankles.
1: Um,
2: and a magical text from Babylonia speaks also of uh, white and black wool being bound to a person or to somebody's bed. That's why sometimes these are interpreted as pillows. Um, it had something to do with binding and laying down, if you will. Something that might be laying down on some kind of a platform. Uh, pillows. As if, as if they're not, not really asleep, they're put into some kind of stasis, Steve.
0: Right, suspended animation.
2: Yes, and, but, but they are being held there by these, by these bands and also by this Miss that that is wrapped around their head. Um, and, and, and actually one of the most important discoveries, uh, on this that was done by, in the 1920s actually, by, a writer, um, by the name of uh, J. Herman, talked about how that both of these words, and I want to go back to something you said earlier, but get this, both of these words he said um, uh, refer to a doorway and specifically are related to Akkadian verbs, which mean to open or close the doorway, or respectively, I'm actually quoting his text, respectively, to bind and to loose, end quote, and that these verbs were used uh, and very specifically, a magical sense, indicating that whatever the objects being referred to were, um, their function was to act as binders and loosers in a magical sense. And um, he actually went on to talk about how he thought this meant, that they were using this magic um, as a means of attack or maybe defense in sorcery. Which I don't think he was altogether right, but I do think that it fits well with the context in Ezekiel, which spoke of the preservation of life or souls, and also uh, as, they're, uh, as they could be bound or loosed, and also the preser- also the destruction of life. So in Ezekiel, it's believed that Ezekiel was referring specifically. To the bacchanalian magic, or the the, the bacae women, uh, and uh, and their ability to be able to use this technology for binding and loosing souls, and Ezekiel was uh, repudiating that in in his sense of being able to either decide through the power of God to break off these bands and loose souls, or to allow them to remain intact. Now, Steve. Um, this is also extraordinary when compared to Job 38:31. Um you, and I know you're familiar with this first Job 38:31 he makes this comment that I believe is tied to the bacchanalian magic um and maybe more where God says to Job can you bind the chains and this word here chains in the Hebrew is ma'adana, which means bands which is an important distinction to to, to, to distinguish between Chains and bands, because bands are something wrapped around the hands of the feet. Now, God says here, can you bind the chains um, of the Pleiades, or loose the bands of Orion? Now, here's why this is important to me, Steve. First of all, um, we recognize that the, God, the question that God is presenting here to Job, can you Find the bands of the Pleiades. And the mythology of the Pleiades, or the seven sister star system, the mythology behind this, the history behind this, is that these were the seven witches, or or whatever you want to call them, who were actually the nursemaids and the teachers of the infant Bacchus, or Dionysus. The very priestesses of whom were the ones who used these magic bands that Ezekiel talks about to capture or bind Things, souls, Um, including potentially, according to this other research, the giants of ancient fame. The second part of God's proposition to Job is, can you loose the bands of Orion? And Steve, the mythology behind Orion is fascinating. He was the gigantic hunter of primordial times. He's none other than Nimrod, according to ancient texts. In fact, the constellation Orion uh, originated with the Sumerians, who saw in it their great hero, and none other than one of the giants that you've written about, Gilgamesh. That's the legend behind Orion, who many scholars believe is the same person as Nimrod, the giant hunter before the Lord in ancient times. So, if you if you were to recite Job 38.31, based on its ancient and astrological and mythological and historical rendering, Job 38.31 would accurately have God asking Job, Can you bind the magic bands of the Pleiades and Dionysus, or can you loose the bindings of the giant, Orion, Gilgamesh, Nimrod? So... As astonishing as it sounds, I mean, God here very well could have been letting Job know, you know, a couple of things, in my opinion. This is my opinion. Um, the uh, One, the astrological star locations of Pleiades and Orion, uh, which were known from the beginning of time, actually recorded in the oldest books in the world, including the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, which we're quoting, that, that it was God who had set these stars in the heavens as a testament a storyboard of his handiwork. And secondly, on earth, on earth, things here often are mirrored by what's in the heavens. For instance, um, most scholars would agree that the measurements of the earthly temple, right, reflect things that are in the heavenly temple? Absolutely. So so God's point to Job could easily, easily be twofold. I, I think this is good exegesis. First, That in the heavenly realm, it's God that put the stars in their order. Only he had the power to have done so. But secondly, that on earth, the things that are reflected on earth, only the power of God and his anointed, such as Ezekiel was, could keep the magic bands of the Pleiades and their Dionysian cult from affecting God's followers. In other words, that Ezekiel could prophesy that the power of these magic bands could be broken by the power of God and the souls that were bound by them could be set free. Steve, earlier on, you said, you know, we're we're moving towards a moment where things are going to be unbound. They're going to be set loose. And there will only be, among humans, there will only be those who have the authority of God that will be able to defend, if you will, against what's coming upon the earth. So, so now this brings us to a much spookier thought. Um... Given that this magic uh originated with Babylonian and Akkadian occultic forces, Steve, what if some of these giants associated with these ancients? what if they were found somewhere or even worse, uh, already have been and somebody or some power wicked enough to remove their magic binders? did so i mean would they come back well that's what that's what's believed that's no, what's i got to tell you prophesied.
0: right and let me share this with you again and and i'm I'm asking people who know the lord to pray and ask the lord if what i'm saying is true at this point because people is finding incredible it's my understanding from the people that fight against these things that they are loosed it's my understanding that many of them are in the underground uh... Uh, laboratories that we always hear about at Dulce, New Mexico, Area 51, S4, all these different places, places in the South Pacific, all over, in essence, if you will, uh, islands of Dr. Moreau. But it's also my understanding that the rulers of this earth, this present darkness, who have sold themselves to Lucifer, get together and offer, and offer as sacrifice these entities because they eat people, okay, they're cannibalistic, small children, that that very thing, that a ritual like that took place, Uh, weeks before the Pope's official funeral. So what I'm saying specifically is is that it is my understanding, based on everything I know, based on everyone I know, that it's not will they be released, they are released. And there comes a point. Can I read the second psalm a minute? Sure. This really fits in with what you're saying. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder, and here you go. And cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. It almost sounds to me like you've got your, uh, and your, what's that other word?
2: Kasetat.
0: Uh, yeah. It almost sounds like, uh, you know, that we're talking about not only bands, but cords, you know. And I've seen the cords, uh, that they, they almost show them almost as, if you will, a braided rope, you know. So, whether that's true or not, but God is talking about something here. He's talking about, let us break the bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Those are the fallen ones, basically, uh, setting themselves uh, with the rulers. Notice this, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Man, this is like this is battle in multi dimensions beyond anything that any of us can grasp outside of the grace of God and because you can grasp it and I can kinda grasp it, we're trying to present it to the people listening, this is what Jesus meant when he said, Just as in the days of Noah. That's this, right. this is so astonishingly over the over the edge. But if that's what we're going to deal with, my 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 urging is that everyone Get so, so right with God, uh, repent and say, Lord, show me this. And even those of the, the, who listen to this broadcast, Tom, that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, man, He's holding out, in my opinion, He's holding out the absolute, uh, uh, motivated hand of forgiveness like He's, like probably in no other time because of the lateness of the hour.
2: Well, and so what, you know, what, what people, Steve, who hold, um the Word of God, they, They believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God, that every word of it is inspired. Uh, What these people need to look then uh, to is how Ezekiel spoke of this as being a real phenomenon. Whatever this was, these bands that could bind those of great height, what, what can that possibly be referring to other than giant it was something that could bind them, that could hold them, and in a in a lane down, preserved position. Um, it was also a kind of magic that could also. I don't, you know, I hate the word zombies, but somehow it could also control other individuals and make no mistake about it the kind of technology we're talking about and transhumanism is definitely not just going to control giants it's going to control humans period it's going to affect humans period
0: do you remember british telecom when they announced their if you will chip that could basically uh collect all the subconscious thoughts of human being and they named it soul catcher
2: yeah well there's a story there's a story today it's actually put out it's at i think it's a raiders news update today is talking about farmers who will be able to control their herds in the field. They'll implant them with chips, but these farmers will be able to, to wear these headsets or whatever. They'll be able to communicate through speaking certain words or thinking certain thoughts and be able to control the cattle to make them to come in when they want them to come in. This is real technology. It's not It's not sci-fi. It's real technology. It's extraordinary. Um, uh, but it's also prophetic. In other words... It's not just something to be viewed as Ezekiel having talked about it, you know, thousands of years ago. The, the, the incarnating or bringing back the spirits of giants and flesh on earth is something that is scientifically or theoretically, and maybe more important to our most ardent Christian listeners, prophetically possible. And I think it would shock a lot of people to know that it's actually confirmed as a real possibility, that is, the coming back of of uh the these giants by one of the greatest Hebrew prophets of all time, Isaiah, in that he pinpointed, and you know that I'm very familiar with this portion of text, um, he pinpointed this as happening, but not just at some obscure Moment in time. He pinpointed it as happening when Babylon is invaded in the end times and after that destroyed. Um, He ties the time frame to when a mystical gate is going to be opened in Babylon and the offspring of these watchers are going to come back through. The offspring, the giants, are going to come back. And I, I talked a little bit about this on Coast to Coast the other night with with George Norrie and had different colors about it. There's something that's unusual to me, um, how that the Hebrew prophet um, actually supports Amorite theology. Now I think Amorites simply stole this knowledge, if you will. They they borrowed from the original revelation from God to man, and we've talked about that before. So I don't want to go into that whole thing. But 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 Isaiah is telling us that this. One rendition if you will in Amorite theology is accurate in that in Isaiah 14 he describes how the Rapha, or the rephaim which is an Amorite term how that they are in the underworld the chief ones of the inner earth and the kings of the thrones of the earth of uh, of the uh, of the false god um that uh, Baal who warred against God he talks about how these can come back from the dead or how they can come back from wherever it is they are. And what's incredible to me about this text is because these passages tell us something about what was believed with regard to what the offspring of the watchers or the gods can do under certain circumstances. The word Rephaim is an Amorite term that carried with it the meaning to be resurrected or reintroduced.
0: Reanimated, too. Reanimated. Right. And, and, and you know, again, the Rephaim... Is, is interesting because again, you've got the same I am and, and Nephilim, and you've got this tie there, Tom, just by the, uh, word or the linguistics of it, but the, and, and, by the way, in the Old Testament, as you know, the word the dead is really the Rephaim, what, eight times? Right. When it said, shall the dead rise to praise you in the Psalms, that's talking about the Rephaim. And it also ties in with Ezekiel, uh, you know, good night, 28, you know, the king of Tyre. So continue on because I mean, forgive me, but this is like this is like steak to a meat eater, okay? <laughs> you know? I mean, well, I'm, I'm like salivating, Steve, on this stuff.
2: Well, uh, you're certainly more the expert, Steve, than I am. What I know, uh, you know, I'm a researcher, and what I know is that from the Rashamra text, the Amorite text, that the Raphaim are described as having been before death, both human and divine beings.
0: Right. In other words, Gilgamesh's crew.
2: That's right. And they worshiped this Amorite god Baal, who was the ruler of the underworld. But when they died, they would go down into the underworld, and there they would, they were known as the assembly of kings or gods, rulers, heroes, just as is described by uh, Isaiah. But the kicker is that these beings had the ability, given the right technology, or the right body, to return from that place, through reanimation, reincarnation, re-embodiment, whatever you wear you will. And what's extraordinary is that when they came back into their bodies, the Amorites described them in the same word, Nephilim. That's what they were. On Earth, they were known as Nephilim. And, and some people believe that this might explain how the Nephilim existed on Earth both before and after the flood because they have the ability under the right circumstances to come back. Now imagine, Steve, the startling proposition of those texts. These predictions that the Nephilim, the giants, the mighty men of old, the, the gods, the watcher, the offering of the watchers, their children, that under the right circumstances they can come back. They can be reanimated. They can be resurrected. In fact, the, part of the meaning of the word Rapha means to be healed from death. Um, it might also surprise some people to know that I believe that one of the greatest legends in history, the actual, the actual Sumerian story of Gilgamesh or the Hebrew story of Nimrod, and interestingly how all of that is tied to Iran and uh, Iraq and the Babylonian Stargate, the Tower of Babel. Um, how that, how that in Isaiah 13 he talks about how all of that in the end times. Following the invasion and then the destruction of Babylon, there is going to be a return upon the giborim on Earth, folks. We're talking about something that that's happening right now. Uh, at the same time that you have biotechnology uh, repeating what the Watchers did, at the same time the greatest, the largest U.S. embassy and military presence in Babylon, who had a who had a first. On the ground, significant interest in the location of the ancient, uh, location of the Tower of Babel. How that in that very same location, Isaiah tells us that at the end of time, that when that is invaded and then ultimately something happens there in which it's completely destroyed, nuclear fallout or some other, uh, you know, biological catastrophe, something occurs there, that a gate there, the Stargate, is going to open, and through it is going to come, is going to return these giants upon Earth. Um, I believe, Steve, what might be an actual record of one of the Refane having done this is important to understand. Um, who uh, uh, Something that came back to life, if you will, that walked upon the Earth in a body, and of course I'm referring to Nimrod, who some scholars also identify as Gilgamesh, which we've been talking about.
1: And and you did such an
2: extraordinary job in your book uh, on the giants talking about, and, and since then also have, talking about Gilgamesh, this giant who people didn't even believe existed until his grave marker was found, and then according to intelligence that you and I both have, the military, they were there within hours, within hours. And why would military the military presence around this archaeological dig? And they removed stuff from there. That, we don't know yet what they removed, but, I mean, having found the grave marker of Gilgamesh gives me some idea about what they removed.
0: Right, I can tell you this. The ancient technology, but also Gilgamesh, held some of the uh, information, because it's not enough to have... The technology, I've been told, you have to know, in essence, you have to have their instruction manual. And when I say instruction manual, it's not like you and I would think. But the thing is, Tom, people just have to ask themselves, what would cause a military to get there with such urgency, sequester the area, and then the reports of piecemeal technology? And we're talking stuff that's so vast in scope. And, And by the way, this is known to the Russians, I talked to, uh, you know, basically one of the foremost, uh, Russian giant hunters in the world. Uh, I, I mean, this guy's a famous eye surgeon, probably the most ice, famous eye surgeon in the world, and everybody is looking for this stuff. It's the same thing when we hear that the underworld and, and uh, the Mayan yeah, caves to the underworld or whatever. These people weren't just imagining or having hallucinations. They were held in basically captivity and uh, some were raised for food crops. You know, this is a funny thing. Everybody has a hive time figuring out how the Mayans and to a large extent the Aztecs and Incas uh, disappeared, you know? Well, they disappeared the same way the Easter Islanders did. They were eaten out of existence. And it used to be uh, uh by the, uh, oh, good night, modern scientists said, oh, they weren't cannibals. Well, not only were they cannibals, but it's what they worshipped. That ate them because a lot of sacrifices basically were prepared for these entities who had an insatiable adi- appetite. And you know, it's it's so obvious by in essence what you and I are talking about that these beings aren't uh, quote unquote vegetarians who you know say oh it's just another human. You know, I mean we're talking about some incredibly far reaching stuff. Back to Babylon, back to the plains of Shinar. The situation is, is across the world, the greatest hunt, the most money spent, which brings us, why are the Chinese in Antarctica? All this stuff, Tom, is, is what you and I are talking about is truly, is, is, as Dave Flynn's book, Temple at Center Time is a Rosetta Stone for understanding, uh, the entire Newtonian, uh, prophetic significance of the temple. It's, it, the location of Jerusalem. What you and I are talking about is basically the Rosetta Stone of history. It's, uh, it's architecture, its language, its customs, its technology, because all this stuff that's new and same thing with alien technology isn't it amazing that the aliens and we talked about this they always have one thing in common with the incubus and succubus, as you brought up last time they always are extracting body fluids or right. organs from their uh, hosts or from their captives
2: that's right, and this and this Gilgamesh or nimrod is is one of the historical examples behind what is important about DNA and genetic makeup. Um, It is actually a story. Uh, Nimrod in the Bible is actually a story of a person being one thing and then changing into something else that allowed for something extraordinary to rise up into or to incarnate within him, to be reanimated within his blood system. Um, and And I can say that believing that this is a good interpretation of biblical history because of the extraordinary uh, record in Genesis 10.8 where it says Nimrod began to be a Gaborim. And you and I have talked about that before, this extraordinary piece of scripture where it refers to a man be- starting to become a Gaborim. Uh, one, uh, George Norrie, the other night I did this three-hour show with him, and I said, George, not long ago, I began to be a diabetic, uh, and it had to do with you know with my poor choices of food, diet, and exercise. But the bottom line was, my my doctor believed that I actually Steve uh, triggered, if you will, a genetic inherent, and it began changing me in genetic and mo- metabolic ways. And now, and it's so powerful that now I have to take you know medicine to keep it from killing me, that's how powerful it is. And so this is important. Um, just because I had the gene trait that would lead to diabetes didn't mean that I would become a diabetic, but it did mean that it was part of my genetics, my bloodline.
1: Um,
2: and uh, But due to my decisions, uh, the gene turned on, uh, and it began... Changing me in powerful metabolic ways, and I and I've always wondered if this record of Nimrod, where it says he began to be a Gaborim, wasn't indicative of something about him genetically, about the bloodline. Is this what these guys with the uh, you know with 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 this with this new contest? Uh, is this what they're looking for? Uh, the Arcon. Yes. Prize something inherent in the bloodline or in the genes. They're looking for it.
0: Yes, they are. And I'll tell you something interesting. The most fascinating thing I know is, and this will come as a real shock. I was told by some of the most brilliant men in the world, and I mean, when I say brilliant, I mean, I, I, tell me, Tom, if if you know me well, you know I know a lot of people. But I was told that our DNA has a harmonic. Everybody's DNA, in essence. We are, we are transmitters for a specific frequency that these things hunt by the frequency of an individual's DNA. Likewise, when they can find the DNA of uh, Gilgamesh or any of his brothers, and by the way, these fallen angels amongst themselves talk about the release of the brotherhood. Okay, isn't it yeah. interesting? We talk about the brotherhood of darkness. And I want to make this clear because God did speak the world into existence, sound. Okay, by the word of the Lord. Right. The point is is that these things hunted by the and I don't know if you know this by the sonic signature of each individual DNA. In other words, if the, if 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 they have my hair. Whatever part of my DNA, okay? And that's the thing they home in on. It's like a homing signal. This is, these, we're talking about advanced abilities that are so supernatural. Think about it. DARPA, Defense Advanced Research, they want to basically give their fighting super soldiers the eyes of eagles. The ability to smell like uh, wolves, to be able to, you know, run and not be weary. Right. Never sleep, all these things, but what we're talking about now is we're talking about all of this stuff that you and I are talking about, all the pre-existent technology, all the unearthed technology, all of the forbidden history, forbidden archaeology, all converging at this point in time, which brings me to the great deception suddenly uh, that's going to be unleashed upon the earth. Because of the importance of this, Spell out for people how you see this playing out from everything we've talked about, you know, over all the times that you've written, I've written, we've interviewed each other, talked to each other, on air, off air. But what is the great, how do you see the great deception playing out now? Because, you know, no offense, it's becoming so in our face, but most people can't relate to it.
2: Well, let me finish something and then take Okay. That. I, yeah, that. I've and often please. wondered if this record of Nimrod where it says he began to be a Gaborim wasn't indicative of something about him genetically. Now this will, by the way, play into the great deception. Something inherent in his bloodline, his genes, and that because of his actions, and the, and the Bible, you know, his very name refers to him being a rebel and a great hunter before God, which also ties into the Orion we were talking about earlier. Something with this individual triggered the beginning of this giant, Changing into something that he wasn't before um, changing he became a Gaborim. now, I also say that because of what happened right after he begins becoming a Gaborim. this will take us to this will take us to Iran, Iraq, why we're there, and what's going to happen in this great deception and I realize we've only got about probably twenty five minutes, so in chapter ten, he begins to become a a Gaborim. But one chapter later, he immediately sets out to build a stargate, a tower, some a device whose top will reach into Shemayim, the dwelling place of God. And God says, let us go down and see what man's doing. You referred to this verse earlier. Nothing now, they said, nothing now shall be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. And what was it that they imagined to do? They imagined to build a gateway to God. Now, the connection between transhumanism and Stargates here is phenomenal. First, Nimrod sets out to uh, starts becoming transhuman. Suddenly, um, it's as he can see in the new modes of perception, and he goes to a specific place where he builds a tower that leads into a celestial opening. Um, the fact that his eyes were suddenly open to new modes of perception is very reminiscent of what's being talked about among transhumanists right now in that if we blend ourselves with animals, we can see into other modes of perception. As soon as he can see into other modes of perception, he goes and he begins building this tower. Nimrod um, doesn't just go to a specific place. He goes to a certain Earth location, a Stargate location, a place that may be hidden to us. I believe this because... There are places on earth that if our eyes were open, we might see the mystical heaven, if you will. Um, that it's not way out into the stratosphere, but it's just above our heads. And there's a lot of places in Scripture that lead me uh, to be, to believe that that's true. And you wonder if it's not why uh, deep inside the human psyche we have this ancient belief system that man can go up on a mountain and meet with God, uh, uh, or meet with God himself. So you have the Mount of Olympus, you have Moses meeting with God on Sinai, Jesus returning upon the Mount of Olives in the very near future, Quatzakotl coming down upon the mountain, uh, the Watchers touching down on the mountain of Horeb in the days of Jared, all of these ancient records.
1: and, 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 you know, how
2: many churches today take their groups and they go up on a mountain where they're going to meet with God? This is something that's deep in our psyche, but it might actually attest to something that is a historical fact. That there are certain places on Earth, where upon high locations, there might be an opening into, um, if we could see it, openings into how uh, places where spiritual forces, angels, you know, Jacob's ladder, where they can ascend or descend from from that place that we we would think of as heaven. Um, so. Nimrod's transhumanism, if you will, may have done a couple of things. It may have made him an appropriate receptacle for a a body, if you will, into which reanimated could come forth the spirit of a Rephaim. It may have also opened his mind or his eyes to perception. Uh, And so anyway, he, he immediately goes and he builds the Tower of Babel. And what's interesting about this location now, Steve, where we are in the Middle East is that this is referred to in the Bible as the Tower of Babel, but in other texts, this same place, this location is iconified in other ancient sacred literature. It is the home of the Babeli, the Gate of the Eli, the Illumined Ones. Um, Literally, the gate to God in the Bible, but this huge tower, this stargate, in Sumerian, where they take and, and, and rip off the Nimrod story and, and reinterpret it as the Gilgamesh, in Sumerian, this is the Adamananke, the literal house of the foundation of heaven on earth, the place on earth, the place on earth that is connected to heaven, the Stargate. So that, so that Nimrod might have been an actual example of our thesis, um, my thesis, uh, he may also be the builder of what Isaiah refers to when he says that there is this gateway that's going to open, through which the Gaborim are going to return when the Babylon when Babylon is invaded and destroyed in the end time. Um, Isaiah 13, 1-3, and the Greek Septuagint, I've quoted this before in the scripture, but I want to say something else about this now, says, The vision which Isaiah, son of Amos, saw against Babylon, lifts up a standard on the mountain of the plain, Exalt the voice to them, beckon with the hand, open the gate, ye ruler. I give command and I bring them, Gaborim are coming to fulfill my wrath. Quote. So we have a reference to Babylon that there is a gateway that is there that at a time when it is invaded and then later destroyed, God is going to give a command, a gate there is going to open, through which the Gaborim, who are associated by scholarship to the ancient giants, are going to come fulfilling wrath. Now, Steve, imagine what that might mean. A full-on, listen, a full-on open-the-gateways flood of giants, a literal hive crawling over the earth in in the last days. Think about that. I mean, just, Steve, let me ask you a question because you're the expert here so that people can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about that could be an imminent reality. How, How big were these giants?
0: Well, I mean, there are reports of them, and I'm talking ancient reports, and from what I've been told, the average height of these guys is 12 to 18 feet. 12 to 18 feet.
2: I, I'm going to ask you something, and you can just tell me
0: if I'm right or wrong.
2: I, I read one time that there was um, archaeological discoveries where they had unearthed a humanoid, a humanoid uh, skeletons that had soared to the height of 36 feet. I read where in the 1500s. First of all, there was a a, a human skeleton was found under an oak tree in the Canton of Lucerne that was 19 and a half feet high. Is that? Do you know if that's true?
0: Yes, and even uh, Pliny wrote about the 36 foot tall one. The Carthaginians that specifically was a. Uh, I think the 36-foot one, and there's a, there's a bunch of them, but the 19-and-a-half-footers, that seems to be, I mean, seriously, Tom, that number shows up a lot in a lot of different finds. And and just so people can get an understanding of these things, they were big enough to take buffalo, full-sized uh, buffalo, under their arms and run them down. You know, when you're talking about um, <laughs> the speed of these individuals and also... The mental capacities, you know, again, people always say, well, these things have, are like Neanderthals. No, they're not. Their psychic abilities are such that basically outside of the protection of of the blood of the lamb, I mean, these things can basically melt minds. Even Dr. Moldeshev, who's not a Christian, when he went into the Himalayas, interesting that they would go into the Himalayas, right? The Himalayas means the mountains of God. Uh, Bhutan means the garden of the gods. The point is, is that, that, that he couldn't walk beyond a certain point, or he said his head felt like it was going to basically blow apart. Okay, that's in the mountains of, uh, Nepal, then come back to the United States, Dulcie, New Mexico, and a group of scientists don't take the red line seriously. The red line is where you cannot go past. Now, how could I know this unless somebody told me this, okay, Tom? But the red line is where you cannot go past lest the sheer, if you will, uh mental projection of these things and I'm not talking about ones that are in uh, i and stasis or uh suspended animation I'm talking about live ones where basically they they can just you know I mean take your mind out I mean melt your mind so when you get a report from a non Christian in the mountains of the Himalayas and a report from multiple Christians who really are trying to get this information out to the people and all you get is the people saying, Oh, that'll never happen. That's just horn and quail writing another fiction book. No. The reason we do this stuff is to prepare the people and I now understand I now understand that men's hearts failing them for fear of looking after those things coming upon the earth. Just imagine
2: that suddenly
1: that suddenly
2: Something is open. Is this man's technology? Is this something else? Something is open, and
1: and and there are
2: hundreds of millions of these things, for literally, literally racing over, crawling over the earth. Men's hearts failing them for fear is 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 not, um, uh, you know, is not a stretch of the imagination. I I read. I want to ask you about this one too. I read whether it was a twenty-three foot. Tall skeleton that was discovered in the 1400s uh, beside a river in Valence, France. This is out. This is out of a good of book, uh, a, a good book of archaeology. Have you ever read about that?
0: Yes. And, and can I share something? The actual articles, whether it's our actual articles, actual writings from all these guys through the ages. They have central truths that are carried through, and they're unknown to each other, okay? So somebody's writing in Europe versus someone who's writing in Asia in uh, centuries apart and coming up with uh, their own, if you will, giants that are fitting the criteria of six fingers, six toes, and 19 to 23 feet tall or 36 feet tall. The point is, is that... The reference that most human beings have is of what I would say the NBA scale. Okay, if you're, you know, if I don't know who the tallest uh, basketball player was, but let's say seven foot six or something. You know, the point is eight feet doesn't matter. What we're talking about is of individuals of supernatural strength, supernatural appetite. Joshua and Caleb going to the Promised Land. They said the land devours its inhabitants. We are as grasshoppers in our own sight, or in their sight, and so we were in ours. You see the classic picture, the woodcut of Joshua and Caleb uh, carrying a, uh, a what a cluster of grapes, and they're carrying right. it on their shoulders between a stave. You know, the thing is, dude, every place I looked. As I've been researching these for three and a half decades, Tom, every place I look, it doesn't matter what part of the world, it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if I go to Polynesia, it doesn't matter if I go to Antarctica, it doesn't matter if I go to, uh, when I say go, uh, the reports coming out there before it was frozen over, the, the, it, it, you've got this central theme, and it's the Rosetta Stone of history. It explains architecture, it explains science, it explains even war, it explains a desire to destroy. Jesus said he's come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. There's a reason. By the way, I was going to say, Oppenheimer, remember uh, uh one of the scientists involved in the Manhattan Project, development of the atomic bomb, said he had become the destroyer of worlds. Right. He was saying, he, he was quoting the very, uh quote, uh, that he was basically, uh, the, the destroyer. In other words, he put it into Hindu mythology too. And isn't it fascinating that Hindu mythology talks about, uh, if you will, prehistoric nuclear war?
2: Well, and I know, I know we only have a few, a few minutes, but I, I would also want to add that for people who only look at the Bible, uh, in Deuteronomy, it's, it talks about the bed of Og, the king of Bashan, who was nine cubits by four cubits. But the, in, in our thinking, this is something like, uh, a bed that was 14 feet long and 6 feet wide. So imagine, Steve, um, if, if the earth was suddenly overrun by millions of these things that are as tall or taller than a telephone pole, and yet the Bible seems to indicate that this is prophetic. In other words, it is going to happen. It is going to occur. This is extraordinary. Is Do you think, Steve, that the end times army of Joel... Um, you know, in Joel two one eleven, where he talks about this great army, do you think that's talking about an uh, an unleashing or a, a, an opening of a doorway or something? And there is this monstrous million numbered hive of giants uh, coming upon the earth in the, in the last days. Do you think that's what Joel's talking about?
0: I think it very well is, and I think uh, you know the thing is, is that I see I see the, the supernatural aspect of this, Tom unfolding at such an accelerated pace now because, again, the key was, that, and I want to share something, you and I started talking about transhumanism together a number of years ago. Before you and I talked about it, it was like this stuff, as you know, what Ventnor was doing, there would be, uh, oh, I'd say intermittent uh, brief postings, but it wasn't in your face. When you and I first started talking about and some of the other stuff we started talking about now, you start talking about, obviously, uh the unfolding, the, what's going on in the UFO world. Now, are you amazed even at how much stuff is out there? Because oh, it's extraordinary. It, to keep up on it is like a full-time job, and quite candidly, my prayer is, is that those who fight these things will give the information how to fight them. Now the Native Americans fought the giants. They got them in caves. They suffocated them. But there's, there's two different realms. There's the fallen angel aspect, you know, and obviously angels can't be killed. They can be bound. So God's gonna have to raise up His, uh, supernatural warriors. I also believe that's the ministry of the two witnesses because it would take someone with the supernatural faith of Enoch, who was given the keys to the universe and understanding, and Elijah to be able to handle this stuff. And somebody sent me an email. Well, What's the ministry of Enoch and Elijah? Well, obviously, to confront the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, I, let me share this, whether people want to believe this or not. The Antichrist was interviewed by someone I know, and I'm talking about the man who claims to be, and the man who claims to be uh, the Antichrist said, very soon, here's the words, my brethren, who have been in chains will be leased uh-huh. and the world will be ours okay now i'm you know i didn't listen to uh, uh I, as you probably know i don't take hallucinogenic drugs but i listen to people that have enough stars on their shoulders that people would basically couldn't say above their pay grade because there is no pay grade higher okay And so what I'm saying to you is is that I believe that we are at the precipice of that. I think it's going to be very, very important for people to pray about this. And, Ladies and gentlemen, while Tom is with me, I would encourage everybody to get a hold of Steve Melching. This this, this, uh, show will be available on my website. Obviously, it's going to be available on your website. But please, whatever you do, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, download this, record it, uh, print it out, but keep it for a future date because it will help you. And, Tom, I, I know what God's doing right now. He's basically, in his mercy, his love, and his intervention, he's giving people the antidote for fear, and that is the, the words of Jesus. And I tell you this, there is nothing other than that that's going to keep us. Nothing.
2: Well, I, I, how much more time do we have left in the we, show? We,
0: we got about t- uh, ten minutes.
2: Okay. Well, you know, it, it was uh, Ronald Reagan himself, and he said this on several occasions. He also said this in front of the United Nations. He talked about how uh, a sudden threat, extraterrestrial threat, unhuman threat, uh, would bring together all humanity into a single world order, a unified world effort to resist or battle this common extraordinary foe. And as astonishing as it seems, I mean, something of this nature, Steve, could happen at any moment. Tomorrow the CERN is going to be turned on. There's other inventions that are occurring all around us. There is a There is the opportunity for a great deception to be suddenly compelled on Earth by the appearance of what seems to be extraordinary forces, whether it's a hive of hundreds of millions of giants suddenly coming through something upon the Earth or an armada of UFOs uh, or, or, or you mentioned earlier, you know the work that's done by David Flynn. Maybe a planetoid-sized mothership zooming down upon Earth. Um, look, c- you yeah, know, consider this week the news, the discovery where there's an object. Did you see this in the icy Kuiper Belt? Yes. And it's been it's 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 orbiting the sun, but it's orbiting backwards. Retrograde. Yeah, and and. Uh, and the astronomers um, in the article actually said that, you know, it could have been born elsewhere. That that kind of stuck out to me, born elsewhere. Yep. Elsewhere, what's that mean? Outside of our solar system, outside of our galaxy. Whatever it is, it's the largest unidentified flying object ever seen. It's 31 miles wide. Um, the mainstream news, scientists are talking about it. Being potentially a comet, but there's no way that they know that, it, because it's only a blur that's showing up on their screen. As far as as far as we know, it could be a gigantic spaceship. We don't know what it is, but what we do know is it's flying in the opposite direction of all planets, and it appears to be powered by itself. And why that's interesting in a theological discussion about how a uh, a, an, a satanic or alien conspiracy could suddenly. Uh, come upon and overwhelm mankind, is this accepted theology concerning Lucifer, including the possibility that the location from which he fell from was a star system, a planetoid. Um, in fact, I would also want to let people know that, uh, I, unless you've run out, I believe you have copies of David Flynn's book, Cydonia, The Secret Chronicles of Mars. Yes, I do. And and you know a lot of people are wondering where can they get their hands on a copy of that book and and the only person I know that has any copies of that book new copies of the book not used ones is you and you only have a limited supply and those are going to run out pretty soon and if anybody wants a copy of that they ought to get it from you while they still can because once it's gone it's gone and then it's just going to be paid two or three hundred dollars for it uh, on eBay but. Um, David Flynn did extraordinary research in that where, he's ta- where he details the history and the mythology behind Mars and the fact that in mythology and history it appears to be a, a, a prison planet. I mean, a, a place, according to the records, in which rebel angels not only existed, but where they may be bound now. And, and, to put, um, and, and Tom, just to put
0: that into perspective, the people that control the actual visual you know all these probes that disappear at Mars. The bottom line is you're only told they disappear. A lot of those things, basically, if you will, it's a it, it, it's the angry red planet. You can call it the prison planet uh, more so than most people understand. But the thing is, is that uh, the the information I have is that it's under constant surveillance, and so are Phobos and Deimos. The two, uh, if you will, Martian moons. There are some people that believe that both those are artificial. I don't know that, but I can tell you this. Again, with people who you can't go higher in their pay grade tell me that Tom Horn is talking about what's on Mars and it's under constant surveillance in real time, you know, and that they literally have the Mars monitoring group. The bottom line is, is that I tend to believe them because you can't hear that from, uh, uh, men Who are so uh, incredibly brave, incredibly uh, uh, amazing, and hear it from so many different sources. And have it verified that you—you you basically have to know that God is trying to get our attention, and I think that's the thing that we need to understand. So David Flynn's work in Mars—let's face it, no one ever did it before.
2: No, well, but but he's only looking at the ancient records, and, and let's let's look at something, Steve. And I know we only got about five minutes now. Look at the artificial-looking moon Iapetus. Yep. And 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 part of Flynn's research in the book Sidonia, The Secret Chronicles of Mars, which I think you're the only one on Earth that has new copies of, and they're about to run out. Um, you know, he talks about Hesiod's theology, uh, Theogony, which describes this place of in, uh, the imprisonment of the Titan God. Right. And, and it's so extraordinary because it talks, Hesiod talked about this great gulf, that, you know, where stands the awful home of murky night wrapped in dark clouds, where night and day draw near and greet one another. But he talks about how they greet one another as they pass the great threshold of bronze. And there the children of dark night have their dwelling, sleep and death, awful gods. How could Hesiod's theogony, he's writing about all these, uh, uh, these uh, various things, how could he have known that on Iapetus, uh, just as he described, there is a great gulf that is formed by a giant walled threshold at its creator. This is a feature that was, in modern times, only discovered uh, New Year's uh, Eve in 2005 by a flyby of NASA's Casino spacecraft, where they photographed an 808 miles long, 12 miles high rim, Stretching in a perfect straight line over one third of Iapetus equator, there's no other moon in the in the solar system that's been found with a stunning feature like that. Literally, a sixty thousand foot high wall in a perfect straight line for eight hundred and eight miles along um, this perimeter. So, I would I would just encourage people because I know we're going to run out of time. Go and read Sestio's. Uh, theology here, We talked about this great threshold of bronze, this great goal for night and day to draw near and greet one another as they pass the great threshold of, bond, uh, of bronze, and where there the the great awful gods uh, greet each uh, each other. It was um, um, Tobias uh, Owen, and uh, he was the man at NASA, you know, who st- who discovered the face on Mars. He actually wrote about in a book called. Um, the Search for Life in the Universe, he wrote about how the moon iapetus is the only object in the universe where we might seriously regard it as being an alien outpost, a literal natural object deliberately modified by an advanced civilization to attract our attention. Steve, whenever something that large uh, floating about uh, up in the heavens is designed intentionally to attract our attention... It gives me pause. I I was talking actually to David Flynn recently, and he made an interesting point about this, including the biblical renderings of the bottomless pit and how that the bottomless pit might actually be a star. He talked about how in Revelation nine one through eight, you know, um, where it says, "And he opened the bottomless pit, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and the shapes of the locusts." were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and their faces were like the faces of men, they had the hair of women, the teeth were as of lions, and so on. And David points out how that, similar to our research, you have here described an army of beings with mixed genetics, transgenics. Right. Um, The the, the similarity.
0: Hey, Tom. These
2: locus and their faces of men.
0: We're out of time, but uh, because, again, I've still got some time to uh that I must use up on my shortwave before you know my contract is up. Uh at your convenience, I'll talk to you off air, but we need to go from this on because I it's I gotta tell you, I feel impressed that this is the most critical thing. When I ask the Lord, and I want you to know this, what I should do for my closing shows, what's the most important thing I can say, having said everything, quote, in the natural, he said you have to concentrate on the supernatural war in the aspect. So I want to thank you, and uh, if we can, I'd like to do another two-hour session with you. Well,
2: Steve, I'm out of time, too, and I've got to run. I only want to say to you... Yeah, not, nurse, not
0: tonight. I mean some other time.
2: All right, I'll say it some other time, about how we could be forced into a sudden inexperience Realization of forces coming upon Earth. What's going to happen to the human race when an extrasolar planetoid suddenly turns and heads towards Earth and forces upon us official disclosure?
0: Amen. Thank you, Tom Horn. God bless you, my friend. God bless you, Steve. Good night, ladies and gentlemen.